Now we're going to conclude today our study of the Ten Commandments. And um, for some of you, that, uh, that's a good place to say, Hallelujah! No. Um, we're going to be talking today about the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet. And so today we're going to begin there. You shall not covet. One of the problems with this is that the word covet or covetousness is not a word that we often use. I will bet not one of us this week used the word covet in a sentence. And so we need to kind of define our terms. So the first thing I would like for us to do is to think about what does covetousness mean? It means wanting something someone else has simply because they have it and you don't. Wanting something someone else has simply because they have it and you don't. Another aspect of this definition is covetousness is the desire for something God is not giving you. I got to thinking about covetousness. Well, obviously, you, you would imagine I was thinking about it as I was preparing for this message. But I, I had never thought of this before. But really, covetousness or coveting has been my companion through my whole life. I remember one of my earliest memories in my life is wanting to have a BB gun because my friend did and I didn't. I had to have one of those. The next thing, and, and you know, I got the BB gun and you know, I shot at a couple of targets and thought, well, that, what fun is this? And, and, I, and then I was on to the next thing and the next thing was a tennis racket. Don't ask me why because I don't <laughs> play tennis, but I had to have one, you know. But I started tracking my life, and there's always something. Right now, I want a smartwatch because mine is pretty dumb. <laughs> and it's not that I, I need to, you know, particularly have a whole lot of interest in my heart rate or any of that kind of stuff. And it's not like it's so hard to reach in my pocket and pull out my phone that I got to be able to look on my wrist to see who's texting me. But Someone else has one, and they look pretty cool, so I need to get one, right? It's always something. The next raise, the next vacation. In fact, last night, we were, uh, we're, we're trying to, you know, we're still very jet-lagged, and so we laid down to go to sleep. We weren't sure we were actually going to make it. Um, but uh, we laid down last night to go to sleep, because it's, uh, it's like 15 hours difference, you know, where we're coming from. And Anyway. And Sue says to me, I can't wait. And I'm not sure she realized that she didn't complete the sentence, you know, but she said, I can't wait. And I said, for what? And, she, and then she says, oh, for our, we have a couple of trips planned this summer uh, where, where our grandchildren will be there and, uh, and uh, their parents, which don't really matter very much. It's the grandchildren that's <laughs> all about that. And uh, anyway... Uh, <laughs> She's anticipating, and as you would expect, I mean, it's a good thing. We're, we're looking forward to these times of being with them. 
But when we're always looking forward to the thing that is coming or the thing that we'll get or the new job or the new house or the vacation or the paying off of a bill, or if, it's, if, if our life is always about something that is going to come, then a whole lot of life just goes by us. Unlived. That's why Jesus said to his people there at the foot of Mount Sinai, don't covet. Don't covet. I want you to learn how to live every moment of every day. Read with me from 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. These are not pleasant descriptions. He's talking about people who are not teaching the truth. He's, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy, who was a pastor, and Paul was giving him instructions in this letter about, how, about doctrine and about doctrinal issues, but also just the practical things about how to care for people as a pastor. And he says, people who aren't listening to the truth, people who are, not, who are teaching other Another doctrine than that which I am presenting to you. They are these things. And verse, in the middle of verse 5 it says, Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain? From such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. See the... Tenth commandment, you shall not covet, is really about contentment. Contentment. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. One of the many things that I have forgotten is the name of the person who, uh, about whom this story I'm going to tell uh, was. <laughs> that was a strange uh, way of comprising that sentence, but I think you get the point. Any, so I don't remember who, who they were taught, who, they, uh, who the quote was about, but I I I, uh, I did once <laughs> know that information. But anyway, there's this really rich man who died, and I believe it was a reporter who was asking one of the dead man's associates this question. He says to him, "How much did he leave?" And he's talking about the guy's estate, right? How much did he leave? He wants to know how much the man, the man was worth. How much did he leave? The guy responds, well, he left it all. <laughs> he left it all. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and, a many, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. This passage is about contentment and so is the 10th commandment. Contentment. Contentment. 
How about we let God free us from covetousness? How about if we just decided today, when we leave this place, we're no longer going to live people who are coveting that which God is not giving us, coveting those things that others have that we don't have. We're going to stop living that way and learn how to live in contentment. What if we just decided that and then did it? I'll bet we have a God in heaven who would like to help us with that. I'll bet he would like to help us with that. Now, I've got to set some things straight. First of all, Paul says here that People who, the people who um, teach this way are people who are not teaching the truth. He says people who teach that godliness is a means to gain misunderstand God. But a lot of us think that way. That if I live my life according to the word of God, if I start obeying him and doing the things he says, then I will get stuff. I'll get a better job. I'll get a better, hu- no, not a better husband. That wouldn't be a good thing. But I'll get, a, I'll get a, you know, my life will be better, right? Now, I'll tell you in a minute from the scripture that we have a God who wants to bless your life. That's a given. But if we start thinking this way, that godliness, my, my pursuit of God is a means to anything else, I've got it all wrong. If your pursuit of God is so that you can have a better marriage, if your pursuit of God is so that you can have a better life, if your pursuit of God is so that you can have a richer bank account, you've got it all wrong. And those who teach that, Paul says, don't listen to them. He said, godliness, the pursuit of God, all by itself, And the contentment that comes from that alone is great gain. Contentment, the word content that's being used here and contentment, they mean enough. Enough. When will you have enough? That's a hard question to answer. Will it be after the next raise, then you'll have enough? Will it be after the move to the bigger house, will, and, then, and then that will be enough? When, when will you have enough? Paul says that pursuing God and the contentment, the enough that comes from that alone is great gain. Can you imagine your life Without that thread, that companion of covetousness that causes life to get by you unlived that we talked about a minute ago, what would it be like if that wasn't, if covetousness, a lack of contentment was not your constant companion? It'd be better. It'd be better. So the fruit of godliness is not gain. The fruit of godliness 
is the contentment it produces. I believe that God would like for us to learn and enjoy the peace and stability that comes from contentment. But we, all, we also need to acknowledge that we have a God who wants us to prosper. I don't want you to get the impression that I'm somehow here today teaching you that God doesn't want you to have good stuff. That's not, that's not the truth. In fact, in Psalm 35, 27, it says, Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Our God in heaven gets a charge out of you having nice things and being blessed. In uh, 3 John verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. But when prosperity or blessing becomes the object, we're missing the point. Because God doesn't measure prosperity the same way we do. Look at verse 8. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. With these we shall have enough. Now, as I look around the room this morning, I'm pretty certain that most of you had something to eat today. Or will before long. And I'm absolutely certain no one is sitting here naked. And I'm grateful for that, honestly. It would be a little distracting. Paul says that if I have food in my belly, clothes on my back, that is enough. That's enough. Now, why is that important? It's important because if I'm going to learn a new way of living, a a covetousness-free way of living, it's going to be because I've decided to live in contentment starting right now. Right now. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Turn with me there. Philippians chapter 4. Paul is, uh, this is another letter that he wrote to the Christians in the city of Philippi and they had sent him a uh, a gift, a financial gift. They were supporting him and he's responding to that in this part of the letter. And he says, not that I, beginning of verse 11, <clears throat> not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be at base. That means to have nothing. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A lot of us really dig that verse. Chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we'll, even if we don't remember it exactly, we remember the gist of it. And when we're going through tough times, we lean on that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But get the context. It's really about the fact that I can have nothing and I can have everything. 
It doesn't matter. I can do all things. I can live anywhere along that spectrum and be perfectly fine. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Then it's like, okay, take your best shot. I remember really well, I was driving over the Santa Cruz Mountains on Highway 17. If you know the geography or the, of that area from San Jose to Santa Cruz, there's really only one route, Highway 17 over the mountains. We were living, Sue and I were living in Santa, uh, Santa Cruz, working in San Jose and getting ready, getting ready to plant a church in San Jose. And it, uh, at rush hour, it's a, it was about an hour and a half drive. It's bumper to bumper. It's miserable. And you know, many of you have commutes like that. You know what I'm talking about. It was added about three hours to our day, hour and a half each way. And I was doing a lot of complaining to God about that. And I was saying, God, you know what? You could make this a lot easier. You know, if we could, and, and I had it, this is what I had in my mind. I had that if, you know, if, if I could just figure out how to make God happy, then he would make it so we could live where we worked. We didn't have to commute from Santa Cruz. We could live in the same city we worked in, the same city we were going to plant a church in, and how much better that would be. I was coveting that, being able to live there, and thinking, well, God, if you ever get this straightened out, then, then I will be happy, right? And everything will be great. And so I'm driving all over the, you know, bumper to bumper over the hill, and, and I'm complaining once again, and I know the Lord spoke to me and said, Randy, if you don't learn how to be content right now, you never will. And he was right. If I don't learn how to be content with what I have right now, if I got food in my belly, clothes on my back, Paul says right now I can be content. And if I don't decide that right now, that day will never come. Right now. I know this is tough because some of you got some bills that you don't know how to pay. I know it's tough because some of you are in jobs you can't stand. And you're thinking, if I can just get a different job, then, okay, content, right? I, hear me, that day will never come if you don't decide that this day is when contentment begins. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, God's presence and power to help you with this will never be more available than it is right now. Now, he may change your circumstances because we have a powerful God. He may wade in and just uh, rearrange things as you hoped and dreamed. That may happen. But I can tell you what will happen for sure. He will change the way you view those circumstances. And that's more important. This can be the moment. I, I, I suggested it earlier, and I'm going to do it again right now. This could be a, a moment of trend, change and radical transformation for all of us. We could just decide together right now. We could conspire together to leave this place saying, I have enough. That would be weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, 
But how much better? How much better? You've heard me say this before, some of you. It's not, I didn't come up with it. Another guy I know did, but another pastor that I know, he told his congregation, he said, we guys leave here today? Go down to the mall. Walk around the mall, and before you stop into, you know, McDonald's or wherever you're going to eat your lunch, walk around those, look in the windows at all this stuff that you don't have, you wish you did, and say, I don't need that. <laughs> and walk on. How, I mean, really, if stuff didn't have a hold on us, and that's the way God meant for his people to live, that's why at the foot of Mount Sinai, he said, don't covet This is recording number 11163 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 7, 2015. This is the 16th message in a series titled, The Exit, A Journey to Freedom. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Contentment. 